Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part one of my conversation with Kate Labor from University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. My guest today is Kate Labor. She is the technology and media professional at Center for Innovation in Teaching and Learning at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Hi, Kate. Welcome. Hi, Jeff. So, Kate, um, thank you for being here. You and I actually scheduled to have a com- have this conversation like a month and a maybe a month and a half ago or something yeah. like that but you um you 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 got you got into um an accident and, and broke your wrist and therefore my, we couldn't elbow. we couldn't talk my elbow, your elbow. My yeah, elbow. Right. right i was in a but, sling for a few weeks <laughs> i hope you're all feeling better now oh sure yeah i'm still in physical yeah, therapy yeah. but it's improving well i'm i'm glad to hear um and uh and I uh, well, and and thank you for 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 rescheduling and joining us again. Uh, mm-hmm. We've we've worked together for a little while now because when did when did when did do you know do you remember when did um, when did we start working with um, Illinois? Oh, I think you may have started portfolios? working with Illinois for about a year before I start. I was on this assignment. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so I started working with Digication in 2015, um, mm-hmm. and I was yeah. asked um, by CEDL, um to do this as a support for the provost's office that had brought Digication onto campus. Um, right, right. And right. CEDL, for those who don't know, is the Center the for Center Innovation in for Teaching innovation. and Learning. Right. Right, right. Yeah. And um, now you serve a a very large university, and um, with a um, with large population, but also with, with large ambitions, um, and with lots of programs. Um, I I hope you don't mind me sharing this, uh, and if you do, we'll, we'll cut this part off. Um, the uh, the uh, there are I I just sort of took a look before our meeting. There are twenty over 20,000 portfolios and over 150,000 portfolio pages in wow. the system. Did you know that? Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I try to audit so, the, I try to, um, to yeah. every, in the spring, I try to um, look at what portfolios have been created in the 12 yeah. months since the last time I looked. And yeah. of those, yeah. I use some sorting um, mechanisms yeah. and then some, you know, just going in and looking at, actually looking at some of them to choose yeah. some number of them to add to our portfolio showcase. So we're looking for yeah. uh, portfolios where students have, you know, gone a little bit above and beyond or something that's unique and new or an instructor who's trying something with portfolios that's new. Um, so I, I, I have some awareness of it, but it's hard to, it's hard yeah. to follow it all, you know. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot. Well, it's a large program. A lot of lot of people, and I, I, I feel I feel like that 
I've seen just on the top of my head, you know, engineering, there is a FYE uh, program. Uh, What's it called? The LAS? Um, yeah, course. it's called it's called Design Your First Year Experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that class alone. Study abroad. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 um, that LAS 101 um, class alone um, typically has an enrollment um, of around 2000 students in the fall. <laughs> um, yeah. They run it in the fall. Um, sometimes they run it in the spring if they have a cohort of uh, people who come in in the spring, but usually it's just run in the fall. Um, and, uh, you know, they have a requirement that all the students do a portfolio. So, you know, we have yeah. mm-hmm. a lot of portfolios coming out of that program. Yeah. So it's it's really, um, I mean, it's incredible to see, um, first of all. And, and it's a... Um, it's uh, is it's astonishing to to see you know scale at work. I mean, just to give you some some sense, when when we started education, um, you know, it was for my own classroom of twelve students. Uh, but even for my entire institution, we only had a little over two thousand students the entire you know school. Right. And so for you for you to just mention that this one class is <laughs> two thousand students is a, it's it's really my yeah. Uh, of course that's the, that, that's the intake class for the yep, yep. largest college on our campus. Like LAS is an order of magnitude larger than any of our mm-hmm. other colleges. Um, so there's right. that and then this is the you know it's what the course is what used to be called a student student success course. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's designed to help students make the transition from being high school students to being college students, mm-hmm. and so right. they cover a lot of ground and a lot of a lot of what they cover is um, orienting students to like the hundreds of resources that are available to them at the University of Illinois, and you know I like to tell people for a for a an institution that considers itself a a research institution and is like in a competitive space as far as research is concerned. Uh, The Mm -hmm. University of Illinois puts a lot of resources into undergraduate teaching. You know, Mm -hmm. they fund the entire Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning for one thing is, you know, it's a big part of that. Um, They want to make sure that students have um, everything that they need to succeed, even if they don't go on to become graduate students and do research. And I, I would agree to that and attest to that because I, I've actually met a lot of um, uh, graduates from your, from your institution who, um, who have basically said that very, very thing to me, which is, you know, this is an institution where I felt like I could participate in research, you know, even though I was no, I mean, they basically, I'm not a PhD material, you know, uh, but having that experience had made them better learners and better, just, just better performer overall, you know, having seen the rigor of what research, you know, sort of at a graduate level would have looked like, even though as right. an undergrad, they might never have had that experience, which is really, really awesome. So, um, I wanted to maybe ask you a little bit about just just being in 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 this big institution again. Like I said, um, it's it's got a it's 
it's not only that it's large in terms of size, but it also um, you have always high ambitions and and doing doing things well, doing things right. Um, how do you how do you do that? Um, I mean, rolling out I mean, such as just like rolling out a portfolio program for so many people. I mean, the idea of just saying, "Hey, let's just go and roll out a portfolio for this course as over two thousand students." Um, it's 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 pretty intimidating, you know. Well, you know what makes it possible. What makes it possible is the LMS, um, and I don't think we'd have nearly as much adoption of Digication if it if it wasn't integrated with. Now Canvas is our is now our main um, LMS. When we first started working with Digication, we had both Moodle and Blackboard. And Blackboard is completely replaced, is being completely replaced by Canvas. And um, as a result, many of the Moodle users are also coming over to Canvas because they're hearing from colleagues that, oh, Canvas is great and it's so much easier. And and for um, particularly for courses that use portfolio, um, Canvas is a better choice. Um, you know, it handles the roster for them and um, if the course has a lot of sections, you know, we used to have a lot of problems with that with Blackboard. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, there's something about Canvas. I don't understand the way that Canvas works completely, but um, they seem to have a better um, infrastructure for these multi-section courses. And that's mm-hmm. where we have these large enrollment classes like LAS 101. Mm-hmm. And we would right. not, and even right. even the the, edu- the engineering courses that you mentioned are like between 120 and 200 students. So um, for instructors to be able to handle that and for them to be able to, um, you know, um, have a reasonable workload for their teaching assistants, um, they really need that those canvas tools and the more work that uh, instructors can do um, relevant to portfolios the more of the work that they can do of assessment in uh, the LMS that um, it makes it so much easier and so much more likely that they are going to use that yeah now you you had mentioned just now um, these engineering course yeah. um, you know a lot of people um i would say that i was one of these people many years ago was sort of biased to think that oh the engineers will will not value the portfolios and why would they do that and and because it was sort of born from the at least for me like literally born from the arts in an art school right um and um and it wasn't biased in that like it just i just always had thought oh that's it's like the it's like the wrong wrong tool for the job you know um and well, uh, but it, as i have yeah go ahead <laughs> oh, i was just going to say engineers are like tool skeptical from the get um they 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 tend to they tend to think of like every tool that they look at they're like well it's it's okay it's got this and it's got that but you know i don't know if it's the right tool for the job because they're aware of all these tools you know and um in fact i think the engineering courses that used education they also just let students choose if they don't want to use education they can use wordpress or whatever you know they don't really care uh, they're not tool focused in that way but they you know they're always really skeptical about it. I have never seen anybody just like 
think that a technology is just wonderful from the jump because they always have more questions than anybody else about it. They see more of the flaws. <laughs> but but the thing though that I was always you know thinking about was even more on the conceptual part, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of the work that um, you know in in the arts, you know, has has a lot of very touchy feely, reflective, um, you know, components and. Uh, you know, and, and it feels like it's all about expression. Um, and now, like I said, I was one of those people, but I, I, over the years, I've been thoroughly convinced by lots of people, including folks from, from, from Illinois, um, that look, engineers are incredibly, um, creative and expressive as well, but they just express it in different ways, right? So can you talk about a little bit about the ways that uh, your engineers, you know, build portfolios, whether it's in education or or elsewhere? Uh, Yeah, well, I don't actually work for the College of Engineering, so I have limited contact with them. But I will say that my background prepared me very well for working with engineers in general, because when, you know, I, when I, um, was a graduate student, I was in the social sciences. I was, you know, I became an anthropologist. And um, uh, right out of graduate school, I got a job working for a an engineering research unit at the University of Southern California. The information sciences school has a, um, I, I'm sorry, it's, yeah, it's the um, Viterbi School of Engineering, um, the Information Sciences Institute is the research arm. And um, it, so I, I was the only non-engineer on that team. And part of the reason they hired me was because I did have a background in social science and I knew how to do ethnographic research and they wanted, and I also had a media production background. So they, they thought they were getting, they felt they were getting like two things in one person, you know, <laughs> somebody who could handle. Well, doesn't everyone, doesn't yeah, everyone everybody wants that, right? They thought, well, we can get somebody who can produce media and who can do uh, focus groups and user testing. And that's what I did for, for nine years. I, I did, you know, all that stuff. I, um, larger projects, um, I supervised a team of uh, graphic designers and animators and artists and engineers, like engineering students who wrote the code, I, you know, I would work directly with them and I would do, um, and I would also work with users and I would, you know, do requirements um, analysis and, and some cultural stuff. Like for instance, we produced a program, an AI built, an AI driven program for language learning. Um, this was under a DARPA grant. Um, just before, just before we went into Iraq, or right after we went into wow. Afghanistan, um, and uh, they wanted to, to be able to train um, military personnel in how to conduct like a basic conversation in Pashto or a basic conversation in Iraqi Arabic that would follow the kind of script that the military uses for what they call meet and greet. And, um, and so we had to train them to do like a a pretty robust dialogue that would cover the things that they needed to do, which is not 
as difficult as it sounds just because the military does kind of script everything out. So we had a very constrained domain, but we still had to have a corpus of like, okay, so you're talking to an Iraqi person and you, you ask this question and here are some of the responses you get. You need to be able to respond to each of those responses. So it does kind of, it gets big really fast. Um, and so part of my job was to work with the military people on the one side and our Iraqi experts on the other side, our Iraqi Arabic experts, to um, to populate that tree, so to speak, of like, you know, well, what if uh, what if the soldier says this? What would an Iraqi person say? OK, is there anything else that they might say or what else what else might they um, you'd be thinking about, you know, um, so we had to kind of delve in there. And, um, so I, I, you know, I spent nine years working with, I think engineers are some of the most creative people on the planet. It was really fun working there. It was like working with inventors, you know, you're working with these very, very inventive people. So, um, and when I came to the university of Illinois, I, I came almost directly from that background. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, look, these highly creative people, highly inventive people, they all have a lot to say and actually a lot to tell. Mm -hmm. And it's just that they need to find their own sort of way to express that. And it may look different from a painter or a poet, um, but yeah. um, nevertheless, they are still expressing that. And I think that's right. really true in, you know, looking at how portfolios have sort of gone over so many different fields in different ways because I think the same thing can be said to the teachers, to the nursing majors, to, yeah, to, and, to, and, to and a lot of folks, you know. For better and for worse because, you know, now we hear, we're hearing a lot about algorithmic bias and, um, you know, the engineers who, who create AI algorithms, you know, yeah, it's great that they're creative, but on the other hand, you know, it can be the source of problems. But that's it getting kind of far away from teaching and it learning. It comes to the personality, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, now having that said, I want to actually go back for a minute to talk about, um, you talk about, you know, undergraduate research. And I know that you have, you're doing a capstone projects or study abroad. There's all these programs. I mean, like Illinois is like, is in, encapsulated like basically all of the high impact practices and sort of making them all work there, like more or less, like all really well. Nobody's feels. doing that consciously. I mean, they're doing what they do, but you know, like we know that in some of these programs, yeah. the department has a requirement of a capstone course. Um, so then they find somebody to teach it, but they don't think of it as, Oh, I'm doing a high impact practice here. Some do maybe, but I think a lot of others are just doing what, you know, what they're told to do, basically. Or what they've always felt right, that this is so yeah. long as a, you know, a tradition. And, and to a certain extent, the high practices comes from the practices, right? And yeah, so, well, I, um, I learned, it, it took me a while, but I finally, I finally learned my lesson about that, you know, stop talking mm -hmm. about high-impact practices. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> because this is our practice already. We've been doing right, this. Right, right. We're, we're um, not going to change just because somebody's made a list of 10 things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But I think it's amazing to see how many of these things naturally have had a fit. And I think that's actually almost like a, 
validation on both sides, you know, if there's such a thing, right? It, yeah. It validates a little bit of the, well, high impact practice actually comes from something, you know, very legitimate um, and it's practiced yeah. and it's proved. But, you know, um, that uh, it also, it's a little bit of that great minds think alike, you know, sort of situation. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's actually um, quite interesting. And I, I say this only because um, I, I know that one of the um, popular things or even theories that people have is, um, of course, I, 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 I've done a lot more, you know, studying on e-portfolios than, than others, uh, than in other, in the other areas, uh, that, that it, it can serve as kind of this meta practice where when it right. pairs with some other practices, it tends to. Sort but of you have to have instructors to buy you have to have instructors right. that buy into that as a model. And very few of our instructors are even aware of it as a model. And there's no, you know, we don't have any way of promoting it. I mean, we promote certain teaching practices. You know, we have this, we have, uh, you know, um, a seminar series that instructors can come to on their lunch hour where uh, instructors who are using a technology um, and really digging it, you know, they can come and they can give a presentation about it. And you might see a small uptake in that particular, uh, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a teaching method or a technology or whatever. Um, but uh, so a lot of people um, don't have any way of finding out what portfolios can do for them. Um, and what keeps me going is the occasional people who do get it, you know, that's when they, when they do, it's really exciting when they do. And, you know, I'm, I, I think of particular individuals who have been really, really good at this. Some of who are, some of whom are still doing it. Some of whom have left, you know, they've either left the university or they've left the department or whatever. Right. Okay. Um, so if you have your magic wand and you are, you know, given your wish, you know, like how, what is your ideal way of promoting it, right? Um, to, to the faculty that you feel like you could reach. I, well, you know, it would be something like one of those, those um, lunch hour uh, mm -hmm. seminars. And that mm -hmm. means that you have to find an instructor who, um, who not only do they, do they think that, uh, they're, you know, not only are they having a great success with it in their class, but they have to feel like the reason for their success is the portfolio pedagogy specifically, right? So they, you want them to, you'd, you'd want them to say, you know, here's what portfolios have done for my class and, you know, then come out with some really positive, uh, you know, um, yeah. evidence of it. Um and I mean, that's, it, you know, it's, I think it's wonderful, by the way, because it's, it, you coming from such a collegial way of, you know, thinking about it. And I've always, you know, thought highly of you and how you, you're very modest and humble, but you actually get a lot done. And I think that it is because of that, right? Um, you know, you're basically saying, well, we want someone authentic. To yeah. come in and talk about it in a very sort of um, uh, 
sort of not overly formal. We're not saying let's go in and do a lecture series, yeah. you know, um, yeah. formally and make brochures about it. Uh, but it's it's more like, hey, we're gonna have we can have a bunch of lunch series where they can share and learn and have lunch, um, right. you know, um, and bring a sandwich and um, and it's 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 something very grounded about that kind of feel, you know. Yeah, I'd like to tell you about um, a project uh, about a, a, a um, yeah a project that I've been working on. That uh, you know, this is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time with Digication is to integrate it um, more tightly with um, a, one of our own technologies. This was um, something that was invented at, and built at the University of Illinois, and it's been, it's an online textbook. Right, so it's called eText, and um, it, it it's a great um, way for um, instructors to um, go kind of beyond what they can get in the LMS as far as content presentation. Like it, that's what eText is good for is content presentation. It's all about that. Although it does have it does have um, active components, we can put interactive components in it. So you can have something like a workbook in there. And we have some texts that show that. Um, but uh, uh, we now have, we just produced a book. Um, and this is in the arts. Um, so, you know, back to your <laughs> thing about portfolios and the arts. And I think maybe it's because artists get it about portfolios. They don't have to be convinced because, you know, they've been doing portfolio based stuff for, you know, their whole careers. Um, but um, we have an, this instructor who was the one who wrote this e-text and um, he had used digication in his courses previously. And he wanted to use, he wanted to continue using them, using it. And um, uh, one of the things that he very strongly believes in is that there are particular moments when students are consuming the content, when it's a good point to ask them to reflect. And that that is kind of like, um, if you don't do it, then you kind of lose that opportunity. It's gone because you can, you can have them go back and reflect, but you're not going to get the quality of answers that you do when you ask for this reflection at the right time. And, um, so, you know, I had been pushing for quite a while to have, um, uh, links in the e-text that would take students right into their portfolio. So if you have a reflection assignment for chapter three um, and you click on that link, you're, you go into the page of the portfolio that is set aside for the chapter three reflection. And, you know, because this is the wonderful thing about the templating capabilities that Dig Digication has, that we would not be able to do that. We would not be able to make that integration if it were not from for that templating capability. Because you have to have every single every single um, portfolio has to have the same URL in it for Chapter Three reflection, right? And the template gives you that. Um, it um, you know you're logged into the university's uh, sign-on system. So therefore, when the portfolio opens up to that page, it's your portfolio. Right. So, um, so I think, 
yeah, yeah I think that's, that's exciting that's really exciting it's, it i'm very excited about it um i we're not you know we're, we're still working on it but um the instructor is 100 percent sold on it and what i'm I hoping love- is that we can get him to do that kind of presentation but it's going to have to wait yeah. for another term because um he's doing a course in the fall that just got approved as a gen ed requirement and that's where he really wants to implement this so we're not going to see that course until fall of 2022 and then maybe we can get him on the agenda for spring 2023 it's been a long time coming i've been wanting to do this for a a long time and we're now seeing the potential for, I mean, I, I finally managed to convince the eTechs people that, yeah, it's worth doing this, you know, and partly because this instructor asked for it. If this instructor, I needed an instructor to say, I really want this because yeah, I couldn't yeah. get them to build it until we had like a case, you know, a use case for yeah. it. Well, I, I guess that, you know, it is a long time coming, but it's worth, it's, I think it's worth it. And I think that it really is not just a stronger case, but I think you get a lot of the nuance and the details right when someone in the trenches actually using mm-hmm. it and saying, yeah. this is what I need, you know, mm-hmm. because otherwise you, you end up potentially, I mean, we've been a victim for on that ourselves too. We right. anticipate people <laughs> wanting this and then they're like, no, we don't really need it. <laughs> and then we end up spending so much time building that thing that no one wants. Um, and so, um, so I love that. And and I actually really like what you were saying, which is it's about the timing of the reflection. Because yeah, in this case, the people yeah. That, that like reflections and, you know, so really study that that part of learning and how it impacts our learning. Um, yeah, we had some similar. Is, yeah. We, we got some similar insights when we were doing the, the study abroad program. And one of the things that they emphasized with reflections is the importance of writing the right kind of prompts. And in fact, they had a, they had a, um, a, a graduate student researcher who was working with the program who really, really paid attention to that, including like tweaking the prompts, semester after semester, he would tweak them a little bit, and they were getting better and better responses from students. And he 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 figured out a, a prompt writing methodology that you know that really works. And uh, you know, so there's the two things: the good prompts and the timing, where those prompts are. And those two things um, are: if you have those two things, you're gonna you're gonna get really good responses from students. This concludes part one of our conversation with Kate Labour from University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Jeff Yan. Thanks for listening.